Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Naturalist Capitalist. It looks like, at least for now, we've averted World War III, um, although there were a lot of people saying that, you know, since Poland was attacked, that triggers an Article 5, so I don't know if that means, now that we know it was a Ukrainian missile, if we have to go to war against Ukraine because they attacked a, a NATO country. Not sure what that means, but anyway, it looks like we're in the clear for now. Um, so as you guys know, I help with social media from LP New Hampshire, and we're always putting out really staunch anti-war messaging all the time. And it usually gets very mixed results. Some people like it. And, and then some people like it when we're just talking about Russia, but then they hate it when we're talking about China or vice versa. Uh, but there's this new movement that's been commenting on all of our posts in a very supportive way, retweeting us a lot. And they're always hashtagging it with MAGA communism. And I heard this term like a month or two ago for the first time. I had no idea what it was. And then I saw the platform posted on Twitter. And I'm not a huge fan of MAGA. And I'm also not a fan of communism. But the MAGA communism uh, platform resonated with me a lot. So uh, Jackson Hinkle, a lot of you guys probably know him. He's the host of The Dive on YouTube. And he's got a great Twitter account that we've been following for a while. And so I figured I'd have him on the show to talk about this a little bit. Jackson, how you doing, man? Good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely, man. So um, I'm sure a lot of people know you from Twitter and probably have seen you on Tucker Carlson or Jimmy Dore. But for those who haven't, just give us a little bit of background on who you are. How did you end up where you are now and what is it you're doing these days? Well, I started a YouTube show about like two and a half actually almost three years ago now. That's crazy. But I didn't start really posting and getting serious with it until uh, after the 2020 election. And I started off as like a liberal, like pretty, pretty cringe stuff. And slowly but surely, you know, I always say that I treat my show as a not only something where I can like communicate to the masses what I think and going on other people's show, meeting cool people like you, but also uh, a learning experience because I talk to a lot of people that are way smarter than me about all these, you know, complex geopolitical events. And through that journey, I've um, I've arrived at where I'm at now. So, um, yeah, that's kind of a little bit about how I started my show. I've been interested in politics since I was like 17. I'm 23 now. And uh, I was a liberal for the most part. But fortunately, I think like many other people waking up to what's really going on in the world. Yeah, so I haven't had anywhere near the amount of success that you have, but even the amount of exposure I've gotten and the amount of people who listen to me, it kind of terrifies me that, you know, I'm a, I'm a truck driver by trade and I didn't go to college. I didn't study geopolitics in any way. I just read the news and read articles and, you know, don't watch CNN. And that just puts you a hundred miles ahead of everybody else. But has that kind of scared you with your, with, with your uh, success that you've had that, Someone like you who, like you said, you're talking to a ton of people who are way smarter than you, but that you've had this amount of success. Is that kind of cool, but also a little scary at the same time? That's always the takeaway I've had with it. Yeah, I I think what's scary is that um, there's so few people who think like us in these high level positions. I think that's right. what's scary because, you know, uh, you see like this Ivy League industrial complex where all these kids go to like like Harvard or Yale or like other nice schools like Boston or whatever. And they come out just with the most brain dead political takes of all. Like you, what you say about people who don't go to college, you're miles ahead of everyone else. It's because they force feed you all that information in these institutions. And they have programmed the American public in this matrix to make them feel like, and make them think as though this is the pinnacle of success. If you get into Harvard, that's the pin pinnacle of success. It's the smartest people in the country. And they are they are the arbiters of objective truth when we know that's not the case. And uh, it, it doesn't take a genius to figure that out. You can I mean, you could go to any of these schools and debate any of these professors as to what's going on in the world right now. And I'm sure yesterday, if you talked to all of them, they would have said that Russia just launched a, a missile into Poland and killed two farmers. So it's like they they they're, they're in such a thick bubble um, that they can't even begin to resonate with what is going on in the world, let alone even what's going on in their own country with the various political movements in this country. And that's kind of like, you know, that's one of the distinctions of MAGA communism and um, the idea behind it. So 
Uh, before we get into MAGA communism, um, was there an event that happened during the 2020 election that sort of spurred you on to this change you've gone through over the last several years? Or was it you just started noticing all these discrepancies all the time and slowly moved in a different direction? Or So was it like abrupt or something that you just kind of started drifting away from? Well, I the 2020 election just happened to be when I had saved enough money to like buy a camera and like a nice computer to live stream. Mm -hmm. Prior to that, I was just doing like pre-recorded videos every day and I was posting those like three times a day because I didn't have enough money to get a, a PC. But um, what changed for me, I mean, I've always just been the reason why I started my show uh, predominantly was because I enjoyed following foreign policy news. And there was a few people who I thought were doing a good job of it, um, like Kyle Kalinske. I like I liked what he had to say back years ago surrounding like <laughs> what was going on yeah. in Venezuela, for example, sure. uh, or Iraq and Afghanistan. And now we see how far he's fallen. Uh, people like Jimmy Dore, who are still, you know, absolutely calling all the balls and strikes miles ahead of everyone else. Uh, he's great. And that was what really interested me in, in the world of politics and national politics. And as soon as you begin to dive in deep enough to any sort of foreign policy dispute, what's what's motivating this multipolar change in the world right now, you begin to realize that all the same actors, or at least I did, all the same actors that are pushing for, you know, a Malthusian worldview doctrine or pushing for war against the commodities producers of the world to try and, you know, uh, stifle their, their growth and their development. That all ties back and that ideology ties back to all of the various issues that we're seeing on the domestic front here in the United States. So I guess like just, just learning about who the bad actors are and following the money and seeing what, what these people are doing uh, in the United States as well, I think is kind of what led me out of liberalism probably. Yeah. So, um, what I, I I was watching you on Jimmy Dore, and what was really interesting is him realizing that people on the right and the left have a lot of the same gripes. You know, I feel like if you grow up as a conservative or if you grow up as a liberal, you're kind of you're you're almost taught to dehumanize the other side and just think of them as other, and you know they don't have the same concerns about the world that I do. Um, what was really eye opening for me was uh, I've been a libertarian since like 2014-ish, but in 2020, I actually uh, volunteered on Tulsi Gabbard's campaign in New Hampshire and meeting these left-wingers who had a ton of overlap with me, even though I was brought up as a conservative and uh, you know I'm now more libertarian, I realized, wow, there's a ton here that I'd never considered before. And a lot of the time I found that people just use different words to describe the same problem. So yeah. you'll have people who call themselves communists and people who call themselves capitalists, and maybe neither of them have really dug into what that means, but they're both just angry at corporatism. They're angry at the bailouts. They're angry at, um, you know, uh, quantitative easing or whatever. Like it just, they're just infuriated that they were locked in their houses while Walmart was allowed to stay open and continue to sell products and continue making money. Um, that was really amazing to me. Did you did you have a moment like that when you were like, whoa, these people, these conservatives, they feel the same way I do about a lot of this stuff? Yeah. And I think that's I think that's um, that's a distinction within like the conservative spaces that's becoming all the more pronounced right now. And I think is going to become even more pronounced as we head into this next election cycle, because, you know, between DeSantis and Trump. Uh, what are the big things that they differ on? Maybe not a lot domestically, but when it comes to foreign policy, I mean, uh, DeSantis is worse in almost every aspect of foreign policy. And he yeah. has a pretty short but su like substantive congressional record to prove that. So um, I, I think that, yeah, that, that definitely surprised me. What surprised me most is uh, – when I was on the left and, you know, even like left, like a Tulsi supporter, Bernie supporter during the, the presidential campaigns, like Tucker Carlson was was made out to be the the most evil of evil, like walking Satan himself. And what surprised me the most was when he started talking about all this stuff, when he started to talk about Ukraine and Russia, when he started to debunk all these 
crazy conspiracy theories that the liberal DNC agenda puts forward. And also, you know, you look back at his old videos and you see that, oh, well, he's actually had on like, he's had on like Max Blumenthal to talk about mm -hmm. Venezuela. He's had on Anya Parmpil to talk about these issues. He's had on uh, Jimmy, obviously, to talk about Assange and all, and all these various things that are going on surrounding the anti-war front and combating globalism and imperialism. And I think that was one that shocked me the most because, I mean, he is the most popular voice in news in the world right now. And he's got the strongest anti-war voice out of anyone on the mainstream. So I think he was the one that shocked me the most. Mm -hmm. So I might be incorrect in this, but to me, you are kind of the face of MAGA communism. Is that accurate? Did you come up with this or did you find it somewhere and turn it into something? Or are you just part of the idea here? How, how does that all work? So my good friend Haas of the Infrared Show, his name's Haas Aldine. He started it, and uh, I don't know what prompted him to start it. I think it was like a like a idea that was spurred from his community, and they started to discuss it. And it's pretty it's it's pretty interesting. I mean, the idea behind it is that Trump running for office in 2016 with the MAGA movement as its base um, introduced a fundamentally new like political arena in this country and like a new political distinction not left versus right not democrat versus republican but in essence the people versus the establishment and i think that that stands true today and i think again we're going to see that with the with the upcoming republican primary but it's the idea that you know, for the first time, like a, a true substantive working class ideology was reintroduced into the American political landscape again, rather than just like surface level political disagreements on like gender issues or something like that. Yeah. So let's let's go over the platform. I've got it pulled up here. I don't know. Is this the is there an official platform or is it more of a is this just kind of a meme and it's more of an idea? This was this was crap. I put this together in a in a coffee shop in like 20 minutes. But I think this is about as close as we can get to stuff that would actually um, amount to what MAGA communism would look like. OK, yeah, well, I read through it. I'll, I'll read I'll read it off here. But I agree with like probably 85 percent of it, which is a lot more than I agree with any other mainstream ideology that makes it anywhere. So let's see. Uh, Reindustrialization of America, dismantling big tech end foreign intervention. Um, what does that one say? And globalist imperialism, abolishing the CIA, uh, CIA, FBI, NSA, drain uh, the swamp, pardon uh, January 6th protesters, pardon Assange and Snowden, extend free speech to social media, uh, land reform, dismantle big agriculture, uh, unite with China on BRI. Sorry, what's BRI? That's Belt and Road Initiative. Oh, right. Okay. Duh. Um, ban Antifa street terrorism. Expand stable, high-yielding energy, uh, oil, and nuclear. Leave NATO. Um, mass infrastructure program. Um, sorry. It's kind of... Uh, declare major energy resources um, as public commodities. Uh, banking in the hands of people economic bill of rights, cut military budget, uh, protect second amendment, cut foreign aid and democracy, uh, promotion, no open borders, dismantle the military industrial complex, promote made in America products, nationalize big tech, uh, literacy, uh, literacy movement, patriotic education and woke academia and subsidy and uh, subsidization of monopolies, remove red tape, Subsidize gyms in every community, lower taxes, deport the Bush family, Clinton family, Obama, Pompeo, Bolton <laughs> to ICC, destroy Open Society Foundation, World Economic Forum, IMF, World Bank, uh, Gates, Ford, Clinton Foundations. <laughs> I like all the specifics you got here. I like it. Um, dismantle Big Pharma, destroy Duopoly, DC Uniparty end debt slavery, imprison opioid fentanyl networks, protect minors from sexualization, dismantle secret societies, uh, declare NED, US, AIO, and NAFO terrorist organizations, arrest George Soros, Klaus Schwab, 
Bill Gates, Fauci, and all Epstein associates, associates and criminals. <laughs> and so, we have two more. We have two more that didn't make the list because I forgot. But in the Fed and uh, uh, Annex Canada. Annex Canada. Wow. So yeah. just a little bit of imperialism, not too much, right? Not too much. <laughs> We're actually going to liberate Canada from the imperialists. The oh, okay, there we go. So um, I like a lot of that, um, especially the, the, the thing I like about um, the MAGA communist people is a lot of the MAGA people, just straight up MAGA, like they're, they seem to be kind of wise on this proxy war we're waging in Ukraine against Russia. But then as soon as you bring up Taiwan and China, they're just ready to bang the war drums and have at it where you guys don't seem to be that way. You seem to realize that it's kind of the same situation going on over there. Um, so is that kind of like the, do you think the foreign policy thing is the biggest uniting issue that brings you guys together? Yeah, I think that, so people always say, well, okay, MAGA is inherently anti-communist. So how does MAGA, it's, how does this right. work? You know, it's absurd and it is absurd, but the anti-communist aspect of MAGA is secondary. Like the primary, um, unifier is the unifier of, uh, you know, the, Clausewitzian enmity. You know, it's like what what it's how I can have a con I can go meet Jordan Peterson and ha have a brilliant conversation with Jordan Peterson about how we both despise the globalists, the the Malthusian doctrine, what they're trying to do in, in dismantling um high yield energy infrastructures all across the world. Uh it, it's there's so much more that we can disagree on and probably arrive at similar solutions for. Or sorry, rather, there's so much that we both despise and probably can arrive at similar solutions for those given issues um, than we disagree on. And even the stuff that we disagree on, it's like it's usually just maybe like a different worldview, but we come to the same conclusions about what's wrong in the world. So when it comes to the infrastructures of power globally, I mean, those were the ones that we just listed. It was like NAFO, EU, City of London, Wall Street, all these institutions, the power players that were listed there. And it, and regardless of left, right, if you're anti-war, if you oppose uh, globalism, if you stand for sovereignty and patriotism, you stand against all those different institutions and you want to fight to create something new and brilliant. And I think that's what's going on right now with all these countries like China and Russia. And um, that's the one thing that I think some Americans need to come to understand is that China and Russia pose a threat to the United States, not because they're like they're, they're trying to spy on you, per se, but because they pose a threat to the U.S. globalist infrastructure insofar as they want to expand their populations. They want to do more trade at fairer rates and fair deals with the rest of the world. They want to develop their own uh, resources and, and, you know, track their own resources in their own countries and encourage other, you know, adversarial nations, the U S to do the same. And, um, China is no different. They're trying to paint China as some evil bastion of communism. When in fact, the majority of non-governmental employees in China work for private corporations. Uh, it's a prospering, flourishing economy. They're going to, they, I mean, like they're going to have the largest economy in the world within the next eight years and India is going to come and surpass the United States as well. They'll be number two. So trying to make an enemy out of China is completely delusional. Shouldn't it, shouldn't, shouldn't we be doing exactly what Abraham Lincoln and his economic advisor, Henry Carey envisioned in creating a multipolar world where global powers work together to industrialize the rest of the world. It just makes sense to me. Yeah. The thing with China that's um, so odd to me is, you know, we're sending warships through the Strait of Taiwan and we're doing exercises in the South China Sea. And the fact that the Chinese don't want us to do that, we are somehow interpreting that as a threat to the United States, where if, if that were switched around and they were sh sailing warships, you know, between Cuba and Florida or through the Gulf of Mexico <laughs> or something, and we said, hey, knock it off, everyone would be totally on board with it. And like I said, a lot of the, the MAGA people kind of see this with Ukraine because it's on Russia's border. It's thousands of miles from us. Why do we care about this? Um, but there, there 
I, I would agree with you about DeSantis versus Trump. And this, I'm super glad that you can see through that because so few people can because DeSantis has kind of blinded people with his anti-lockdown stance in Florida. It's, everyone's just whitewashing the rest of his policies, which are absolutely awful. Um, but Trump, even though like sometimes he would lean in the right direction, to me, he never really put his foot down and would, you know, tell Mike Pompeo to go screw himself. And, uh, you know, he did end up firing John Bolton, but he did hire him in the first place. And, you know, it wasn't all the way till the end of his presidency that he put Doug McGregor in there and he started like actually trying to pull troops out of Afghanistan and out of Syria. Um, what do you think you guys can do to try to influence Trump to be better? Or is that is that part of the plan at all here? Or is it just, well, Trump is just the best we're going to get. So we just got to go along with Trump. What is the how do you bring how do you bring it from MAGA to MAGA communism? Like, how do you influence Trump in the right direction? Well, anyone who knows Trump as a businessman or a political leader knows that he acts solely based upon his instincts. You know, he does. He's not like a he's not like a pollster guy. He's not going to flow with the wind like DeSantis does. DeSantis says, you know, he licks his finger, puts it in the air, says, you know, which way is the wind blowing today and follows that direction. Um Trump obviously is constrained. I mean, that's why he didn't pardon Julian Assange or Edward Snowden, because they were threatening uh, to McConnell and, and Graham were threatening to approve his second impeachment and go through with it. So uh, Trump, the way I and I could be totally wrong, but this is just the way that I've always read it. Trump is his own man, and he's got a lot of people that he presumes want the best for him that he surrounds himself with, be it in business or politics. and there's a certain percentage of those people who actually want the best. And there's a certain percentage of those people who I think are acting on behalf of the deep state and are trying to exploit uh, their, tr his trust for them to, you know, uh, pr to put forward like nefarious motives. So basically in the Trump administration, you had the Bannonites, you had like the, the Thiel Bannonite faction of the party that was all very anti-China uh, anti the Pompeo faction that was very anti-China, anti-Assange, all of that stuff. That's where you got the Boltons. That's where you got the Pompeos, the Dana Strauss, the James Jeffries of the world that were encouraging Trump to stay in Syria. And then after he said, let's pull our troops out of Syria, they lied and just kept our troops in Syria regardless. So you have that right. faction of the party and that faction of the MAGA movement, which I think a good chunk of them are going to move to DeSantis. But I also know that, and I and I had a conversation with one of them yesterday. I said, so look, are you going to go to DeSantis? Because I know you probably line more with DeSantis on foreign policy. And he said, no, I think it's smart to keep our influence in the in the MAGA movement for now. So they want to maintain their influence there. Sure. Um, and then you have the other aspect of it. It's like the Roger Stones of the world that say, we are focused. It's, it's essentially MAGA communism, all the stuff that we just talked about. We're focused on that goal we're focused on trying to create peace where it's like a more Lyndon LaRouche mindset and um they clearly didn't win throughout the entirety of the Trump administration until the very very end uh I had a conversation with Colonel Douglas McGregor and I said you know what was it like working for Trump what was it like being in there and he said Trump's uh Trump was a good president he had good instincts but they came far too late he if you're if you want to be a good president you have to be a good butcher you have to be willing to get rid of the people who are screwing you over and your administration over as soon as possible. And, you know, you listen to Trump, you listen to the interviews that he did years ago when he was a young man. And he kind of has a similar view that I have with regard to the presidency. The fact that one man does have the power to completely change the country in the world if you are in that position and you're making the right decisions and you act with the power and the strength that you have to to, you know, win. And I think in the last three months of his presidency, he realized that that's when he got rid of a lot of those neocon goons. And he started to put people like McGregor in positions of power. Uh, you know, they wouldn't approve him ever to become secretary of defense McGregor, but that, you know, he got him in as the senior advisor to the Pentagon. And um, you saw, you saw brilliant things begin to take place. And uh, I think that if that's where he left off, and we see since then how poorly the establishment has continued to treat him. You know, the, the whole January 6th nonsense and going after him at Mar-a-Lago, all that stuff. 
I see people in the DeSantis movement saying, well, you know, it can't be tr Trump 2024 can't just be a revenge tour. No, I think it can be and it should yeah. be a revenge tour because he's going to go that much harder on all those establishment figures when he gets back in power. Yeah, I mean, the only sliver of hope that I would have for Trump is if he did go on a revenge tour. Otherwise, I'm like completely uninterested in him getting reelected. So I've seen the incentives a couple times like he, he hasn't given me a lot of reason to have any faith in him. But a couple times, you know, like when he kind of went after Netanyahu last year for congratulating Biden on winning the presidency. And then he was starting to talk about the Israeli-Palestinian issue in a way that I never heard him talk when he was president. And I was like, oh, boy. So, like, the, the, the biggest hope I would have in this sort of scenario is if literally all the or, or basically all the goons get behind DeSantis, which you're kind of describing. And by the way, I do have to point out, I'm glad that you put Peter Thiel and um, Bannon in the neocon group, because a lot of people don't do that for some reason, you know, they because they're not paying attention to the China hawking yeah. that's going on. Um, but if literally everybody lined up with DeSantis or basically everybody, maybe Trump wouldn't have any sort of, uh, you know, any sort of reason to go along with them if you could get the right type of people behind him. Um, so I don't know. Give me your pitch on like how we do that. How do we get how do we get him to listen to like Rand Paul and. Thomas Massey and, you know, I don't know, just people who have the same foreign policy incentives that we do, like how, and do you think, even though I agree with you about DeSantis, do you think Trump really has learned his lesson? Because looking at a lot of his endorsements he made, I was like, oh man, yikes, dude. <laughs> like, I, I don't, I don't feel like he's really, you know, risen above where he used to be. Why do you think I'm, do you think I'm wrong there? And if I am, how can we like encourage him in that direction more? Well, as far as the endorsement goes, Trump wants to win and he wants to have a good record. You know, sure. it's like I, I wouldn't read too much into that. He's not an ideologically inclined individual. Um, he, I feel like he's the type of guy that's going to look at everything on a base or on a basis of like moment by moment or question over question. And, and, and that's kind of the unique opportunity with Trump. Anyone in the Democratic Party, anyone in the Republican Party, like they're just going to be objectively terrible no matter what. DeSantis is the establishment. People are like, oh, well, he's an outsider. No, he's an he's he's an establishment hack that's posing as an outsider by saying, you know, I didn't lock my state down. And I think that uh, this whole trans issue is bad. It's like, OK, well, what do you think about China? What do you think about Israel? You know, what right. do you think about these institutions? What do you think about NATO? What do you think about the EU? So. Trump, he he has good instincts, like we said. You know, he he tried to go hard after, uh, like hard on um a lot of these EU member states and have like a more aggressive tone with them. Even last night, he said, uh, you know, during his speech last night, he comes out and he says, you know, we we had we got it, we secured a really good deal with AMLO. He's a socialist, but you can't always get what you want. He talked about China. He said, you know, I was trying to have good trade deals with China. Um, eventually Pelosi and Schumer kind of pressured him into taking a more neocon of hawkish approach at the end of his presidency towards China. But I, I, I think your question, how do we come across to Trump? How do we win him over? Well, it's a battle like no other, and it's going to be a fight like no other. If he, if he wins again, like all those neocon people, um, that are smart enough to stay in the Trump administration Trump might be even more inclined than ever to listen to what they have to say because he recognizes that they didn't leave him for DeSantis when they could have and probably would have been more ideologically inclined to do so. So I don't know. It's going to be a very big fight. And um, we just got to make sure we have as many people in that administration as possible who are speaking the truth, you know, and also not be afraid to criticize him when he does terrible things because i feel like now that these lines are being drawn up all the more clear with the santis wing and the bannonite wing of the maga movement and then trump himself and then the, the roger stones of the world um we need to be all the more critical of him than ever before and i think he kind of begins to hear this stuff because initially he was saying some weird stuff about ukraine you know and he still does say some weird stuff about ukraine occasionally he says you know they 
we would have never let this happen. They destroyed such a beautiful country and stuff like that, mm. whatever. Um, but in every single speech that he's gone out and given out of like the last 10 I've seen, he's made Ukraine and saying that I would have never let this happen. I never would have, it never would have come to war when I, if I was president, he's made that like a, a pinnacle of his stump speeches. And that was after initially saying some pretty suspect things about Ukraine at the start. Um, when it comes to the, the COVID stuff, I mean, we all know how that went, but uh, we're past that now. So I, I think that we, we, to a certain extent, should look, look past that. You know, what are, the, what are the number one issues that we're facing right now? It's China. It's Russia. It's, um, I would say those are the two biggest ones, and it's yeah. the economy. And when it comes to those issues, Trump may not be perfect, but DeSantis is worse in every way. So has this argument brought anyone over from the left that, you know, we got to we got to put our faith in Trump and try to push him in the right direction? Is there any no, notably sized figure who has been like, yeah, this is the way to go? I I don't know. I don't know. I guess I'd be the closest example to someone who's like that. Um, mm -hmm. But I think there's a lot of people who understand that maybe, okay, maybe Trump isn't for them, but also understand that he's the only threat to the deep state. Even if it's, even if it's not a big threat, even if it's like a, a pretty minuscule threat to the deep state, even if he only challenges them on like in a large way on a few issues, um, he is the largest threat and they're coming after him like never before. So I guess in that aspect, it's maybe led some people to say, well, clearly it's not the democratic party for me. You know, we, I, I'm not a Democrat and mm -hmm. I'm maybe not a Republican, but I understand who they fear the most. And that's Trump. So how did you feel from his speech last night? I watched it and I'm just going to be honest. I thought, you know, I mean, I agreed with a couple things he said, disagreed with other things he said. But overall, it just kind of there. It fell flat compared to 2016 Trump. It seems to me like he's lost a lot of his energy a lot of his charisma and his gusto. Um, do you share any of that concern or do you think the whole package is still there? I've been listening to a lot of his uh, speeches and rallies recently. And he, I mean, like he's always sounded like normal, but he did sound like low energy last time. I mean, you never know with a guy like that, what, what news may have hit him right before he went out there or what, what's happening in his own personal life. I don't know. But, um, he did seem a little flat. He seemed a little bit low energy, but there was a lot of people that were very excited with the speech and thought it was, I had people who I didn't think were going to be um, so partisan with it. And they just texted me this morning and they said, that was like one of the best speeches I've ever heard. And I'm like, really? <laughs> I mean, he, like you said, there were some good parts to it, but I did think it was kind of low energy. I'm not going to lie, especially compared to like some of his speeches. I watched, I watched the full, I think he did a New Hampshire one. He did a Michigan one not too long ago. I watched those. Maybe it wasn't New Hampshire. I forget, but oh, Pennsylvania. Um, and those were very high energy. And I remember specifically, I almost went to the Michigan one and I watched it. I'm like, God, like, I wish I'd gone to that. That was a fiery speech. So I wouldn't read too much into it being low energy. I think it's just like everyone's eyes were on that one speech because that's when he announced and it's unfortunate he was low energy. But um, I wouldn't read too much into it. So what do you think happened with the midterms? Why did the... I mean, the Republicans, it looks like they're taking back the House and the Senate is going to be just about split again. I thought there was going to be this huge red wave. I totally bought into that narrative. Why do you think there wasn't? Well, there's limitations to what we can discuss on YouTube, but um, I will say I don't think that I, I everyone's putting forth the different ideas. Was it because Trumpism is dying? Was it because the GOP was seriously outfunded by the Democratic Party. There is truth in that. They were seriously mm -hmm. outfunded in a number of these races, big races. The Blake Masters race in particular was crazy. The Mark Kelly had so much more money than Blake Masters. Um, was it that... I, what, what were the other excuses put forward? People say Trumpism is dying. People abortion. Say What's that? Abortion. People were really abortion. worried about abortion. They talk about that. There was there were several other things. They oh, some people blamed libertarians as always blamed yeah. third party. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and it really, 
again, the way I'm going to phrase this is if you are going to tell me that the single least popular president in generations of our country, like has the lowest approval rating, lower than Jimmy Carter. You know, it's like this guy was so unpopular at a time when we're about to go to World War Three. We're about to sink into depression probably over the next several years. We'll see how bad it gets. You're going to tell me that that guy lost less House seats than any Democratic president over the last 40 years? Yeah, I don't know, man. It was shocking to me. I mean, <clears throat> I talked to some people about it, and um, a lot of them were just really way more concerned about abortion than I ever thought they would be. Because I remember when the Roe v. Wade thing came out, back in what was that march or april or something that they knew it was going to be overturned um i thought oh shit this is a bad this is bad timing this isn't going to go well for the republicans but then with everything going on with ukraine and like you said with the economy i was like oh well it's just not going to matter like this is just going to be yeah. dwarfed by all this stuff but i know here in new hampshire there was just constant propaganda on the television uh signs put out everywhere just like you know if the republicans win a majority in the senate birth control is going to be illegal. You're not going to be allowed to get the morning after pill. Uh, contraceptives are going to be, you know, just like crazy, crazy, like, yeah. you know, old Republican stuff that they were, that wasn't going to happen. First of all, I mean, the guy we had running for Senate here in New Hampshire, he was a dork, Don Baldock. He sucked, but he was not like a crazy anti-abortion guy. He had the, he thought Roe v. Wade should be overturned. It should be left up to the state. So he wasn't going to sign on any, uh, federal abortion ban or whatever but they had that constant propaganda and then they had the get out the vote thing on lock they had buses from uh the university of new hampshire bringing students to the polls to register to vote i mean just lines and lines and lines of them and i think that's why they won because all i mean the vote tallies when i looked at them at least in new hampshire they made sense we have a typical centrist Republican as governor. He's basically a pro-gun Democrat. And he got a lot of votes that went to Maggie Hassan for Senate. You know, like the Democrats were voting for him because he's kind of moderate and everything else went Democrat. So I feel like the Republicans are, I mean, I I, I didn't really want to believe the results either at first, but then when you look at the media machine that the Democrats have, and when you look at the get out the vote incentives they have, to me, it's actually amazing Republicans ever win any elections, <laughs> regardless of how much they suck, because people our age, I'm a little bit older than you, but people our age, you know, I mean, they're just brain dead. You know, they go to college, like we were saying at the beginning of this, and they get stuff pumped into their heads. That's just bullshit. They watch bullshit news all the time, and yeah. they just really think that the biggest assault on people these days is, you know, taking away their transgender rights and their rights to abortion. Like, that's the number one calamity humanity is facing. Yeah, we're we're not going to be able to get our our you know genitals cut off before yeah. the age of eighteen. <laughs> Heaven forbid. Exactly. Yeah. No, I mean, um, yeah, I I don't I don't know I don't know it's it's just tough. It, it's just so tough to think that that's some that it's and you know when that happened when the abortion thing happened they leaked the they leaked the draft um, opinion all that stuff. Yeah. You know, the moment that happened. I tweeted out and I got I got like trolled for saying it, but it ended up being right. Um, this is a domestic color revolution. Like this is a hundred percent a CIA backed, you know, domestic color revolution because the CIA, the State Department, they don't want the Republicans in power. The Pentagon does, but the State Department, and the CIA don't, and they they will do anything to keep the money the money machine, you know, the gravy train rolling for all this Ukraine and China business. Um, and all the weird stuff that the State Department is doing with like all the woke gender politics, you know, they're funneling hundreds of thousands of dollars into countries like Ecuador uh, to promote like um, the, the the drag shows in Ecuador. It's like, what are you guys doing? This is very <laughs> weird, you know, but there's a there's an agenda there. But um, when that happened. It was so clear, it was like, well, the Democrats are in power, they have the presidency. They have the Congress and the House and Senate. So if this is such a big issue, if this is like the, the mother of all issues, if this is like life or death 
presumably for millions of people all this country and it's the greatest attack on our on our democratic rights that we've ever had in in generations that being the you know the road decision the supreme court then just pass something through congress that says that you're going to restore roe through uh, a congressional vote because they mm -hmm. had the senate in the house it's as simple as that they didn't even try <laughs> they didn't even take anything up for a vote and that it shows that like they just wanted to use this as an election wedge oh, issue yeah. to protect the Democratic Party and by virtue protect the State Department and the CIA. So it, there was no effort whatsoever. All these people, blah, 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 AOC, like, oh, my God, I'm not going to be able to have a have an abortion anymore. It's like, OK, well, first of all, your your husband's ugly. Like, you shouldn't be with that guy anyways. And then also it's like, just take this up for a vote in the House. Try to take it for a vote in the Senate and see how it goes. But no. Not going to do that. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that, that assessment. It's kind of like the Republicans with guns, with the Democrats. It's abortion. It's something you know is never going to go away, but you can use it every election to fundraise and fear monger and say, you got to vote for us just one more time or yep. this XYZ thing is going to go away. Um, so let's say Trump loses and it's DeSantis. What's the game plan then? What, what do we do? what would you do if George Bush became president again? You know, it's like, we're <laughs> fucked. <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, there's no real winning there. I don't mm -hmm. think so. I don't think so. I mean, maybe it's, it's like the, it's like the leftist, the Bernie supporter leftists who were actually somewhat principled. And they were saying like, Oh, it's okay. We'll just push Biden left. No, no. You've got 40 years of votes in the, in the Senate and actions as vice president. Uh, to show that that is not going to happen, like there's there's no feasible way. Like the 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 establishment is literally coursing through the uh, veins of Joe Biden as he eats his morning cereal. It's like this guy is not going to move anywhere. It's he's completely controlled by the deep state. So I think, yeah, DeSantis to a lesser extent is controlled by the deep state. Uh, you could say that you could make that argument, but I would make the argument that they're just weaponizing him and allowing him to kind of uh, be on a loose leash on, on a loose leash uh, for some parts of the day, say some things about Fauci, criticize the lockdowns, whatever. So they will corral people from the Trump movement, bring them to him and bring them ultimately into supporting a, a, a DNC backed imperialist worldview when it comes to global politics. That he'll be opposing BRICS. He'll be opposing the SEO. He'll be trying to drag China down. He'll be trying to uh, you know, subvert the sovereignty of any country that we don't like. And Trump is a mixed bag. You never know what you're going to get with him. So I think if we get DeSantis, we're pretty fucked. I don't think that there's really any hope. And um, it just insanes me. How are, how are there all these people who are like, Oh, you know, he's not that bad. Like we need, I think we need something new. It's, it's, it's just, and people who I think are actually pretty smart, mm -hmm. you know, I see on Twitter and I'm like, how are you guys being this stupid with this issue right now? It's like, it's so obvious. Um, but I guess they're just going to learn maybe too little too late. Yeah, it, it, it is amazing. And, um, I actually think DeSantis could be worse than Biden. Here's my rationale for that. Because with Biden, at least people see through it. They're like, holy shit, this guy's a complete disaster. Everything's going to shit. Everything's falling apart. DeSantis is like Barack Obama more. Like he he's eloquent. He's well put together. He's kind of polished. He's got a military record. He's been in Congress, so he knows how to conduct himself. And he could really fool people into believing in the American empire again, where oh, uh, Biden has almost been instrumental in giving us Vietnam syndrome again, where people are like, yeah, this is this is dumb. What are we doing in Ukraine? Like if if DeSantis were president right now with what's going on in Ukraine, I don't think nearly as many people would have an issue with it because it would be like, oh, this is a smart military guy doing this and he knows what's going on, where with Biden is just so transparent that no one has any clue what they're doing. And if they do, it's that they're egging things on, trying to make it worse whenever they actually seem like they have a clue. Um, do you think there's any validity to that being actually more scared of DeSantis because he'd, I mean, he would just make it yeah. look like he's got this under control. 
Yeah, it's just basically it's it's kind of like an accelerationist theory almost. You know, it's like it's like well, you know, uh, that's how a lot of that's how a lot of left people felt about Joe Biden as well. Um, leading up to the election, there was a lot of people who argued that they're like, oh, it's it's accelerationism. But I think that um, it, DeSantis scares the shit out of me. I think that he's the single biggest threat to our country that is currently, you know, occupying any high position of power right now. I think he is. I think that if DeSantis, if DeSantis, DeSantis believes everything that he says, Trump, we know, doesn't believe shit. If, if Trump came out tomorrow and said, oh, Crimea is Ukraine, Crimea is Ukraine, everyone would be like, do you know what? Could you point to Crimea on a map? Like, no, I don't think he really. He, he's like just told that, told to say that, maybe. Yeah. But at the end of the day, we know he's going to try to negotiate peace, and he'll probably do it. Um, with DeSantis, if he said some shit like that, and he has said shit like that, he vote he sp co-sponsored a bill that said Crimea is being illegally occupied by Russia. Uh, we we support free and fair elections in Ukraine, which is just code for we support U.S. you know coup efforts and regime change attempts. He said that Yanukovych was um, not forcibly removed in a coup in 2014, but was democratically deposed. He said all this stuff mm -hmm. in the co-sponsored bill he put forward in 2016, I think it was. And if he was in Congress today, he'd be voting. To, they just said Biden, the, the White House said they want another $37.7 for Ukraine from Congress. He'd be voting for that. He'd not only be voting for that, he'd be championing it. So I don't trust this guy. And they keep their cards so close to their chest. You know, I... I was asking Christine Pushaw about his uh, his foreign policy record, and she's like, "Well, he's a governor, so he doesn't have for we we he's focused on the state of Florida." It's like, "Okay, bitch," but he's about to run for president. Everyone knows it, so why don't you talk about his for? Why don't you? Why do? You okay, well, let's look at his foreign policy. He's mm -hmm. saying all this abhorrent shit about Russia as governor right now. He's he's saying all this crazy stuff about China as governor right now. We know how he really feels. We know where this is headed. And he's one of the biggest Zionist shills on the planet. So if anything, I think that DeSantis's allegiances lie more with like Israel than the United States. I'm very fearful about him uh, running for president. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. So um, is Trump just the pragmatic decision because he's so likely to be the person who can win like if if you could have anybody would you choose somebody other than trump is he just like the best guy for the job because he has the popularity and the likeliness of getting in there like if you could have rand paul instead of donald trump is that something you'd rather do or or is there something you really like about donald trump it's not just that you think he he's the guy who could get in there um I know it's like a trope about him, but I like the fact that uh, he gets stuff done. I, I'm not going to lie. Maybe I disagree with him on a lot, and I do, but mm -hmm. he does get stuff done when he puts his mind to it or he he gets as close as you can without you know getting a JFK or RFK. Um, so, yeah, I like that about him. What do you what what do you really see from a senator? I don't know. Like I can't tell how DeSant how sorry uh Rand Paul would actually be able to govern. And I think that's a more important question. Is your mindset how you'd govern rather than your policies? Because mm -hmm. what good what good is having good policies if you're not going to actually be able to fight to achieve you know what you're setting out to put forward? Um, that was like one of the things with, with Bernie is like, uh, in some, in some instances throughout his time in Congress, um, he was referred to as the amendment King because he got so many amendments and bills that had like widespread ramifications, uh, for millions of people across the country. And obviously now he's just a, he's a Democrat shill. He does whatever the party says, and he doesn't want to end up like, um, like like a outsider politician that everyone forgets about. He wants to have a legacy, so he goes along with what they say now. But you know, he used to be pretty base and actually get things done. You look at him as mayor of Burlington, same thing. He got a lot done as mayor of Burlington without a lot of support on his city council while they were also trying to remove him from mayor. So um Trump, I think he's he's proven throughout his time as a developer and one of the most uh sharky markets for development in the world in a very consequential time in New York real estate development. He got a lot done there. 
He got a lot of interesting things done as president of the United States. If I could choose Rand Paul, I mean, I, I don't know. I think he's smart on a lot of things. I think he's good on a lot of things. I would like to see Jimmy Dore run. I encourage mm. Jimmy Dore to run quite a bit. The reason why I think Jimmy Dore is interesting is because he's the he gets the highest ratings when he goes on Tucker Carlson. He has some of the most viewed clips on Joe Rogan and episodes of Joe Rogan. He's very popular on the Russell Brand Show. Those are the three largest independent and mainstream voices in media today: Russell Brand, Tucker Carlson, and uh, and and uh, Joe Rogan. Not only that, but they ran a poll on his name recognition. I thought his name recognition was going to be like 5% nationwide. He has a 33% uh, name recognition uh, nationwide wow. right now, which is incredible. And the approval rating of those who know him is actually pretty high. I don't remember it off the top of my head. Uh, but he's someone who I think <laughs> he's a comedian too. He's funny. He goes across the nation. He sells out shows. You think if Chris Hayes... Or, or even Rand Paul or any of these people, Marco Rubio did a nationwide tour that they're going to be selling out massive auditoriums no. for 25 bucks uh, a pop on a ticket uh, all across the nation, Kansas City, Detroit, wherever, you know, he's going to San Francisco. He sells out all these shows. The guy is very popular, and I think he has the capacity for um, a lot of change. He's got good views. He, he's very well recognized, um, and he's got a lot of that institutional knowledge Um because he's been following this stuff for years and he's been exposing all of it. That's why they hate him. So I encourage him to run. He's not going to run, but um, if I could choose anyone, I think right now I, out of everyone that kind of comes to mind, it would probably be Jimmy Dore. Hmm, interesting. Um, do you think that it's kind of hopeless trying to dismantle everything from the top down? Cause I've honestly given up on it. Like um, I've worked on, a couple presidential campaigns and supported a bunch of them and anybody good either doesn't get anywhere near the office or if they get in, they just end up, you know, capitulating on almost everything. And I feel like it's gotten to the point where we've got such a huge beast that trying to cut its head off isn't going to work anymore. I mean, we don't have a sword big enough to decapitate it and instead we just got to starve it. Um, so I'm focusing a lot more on local politics uh, here in New Hampshire, we've got the Free State Project. I don't know if you've heard of that before, but we're just trying to take over the local government and basically starve Washington. We're trying to pass legislation so that the federal government can't send National Guard troops overseas into foreign wars unless they actually declare war, things like that. Do you think we can still decapitate the beast? It, it seems like it. Um, or do you think how much further do we have to go before it's just like a failed strategy and we have to try from the local level instead, or should we do both? What, what do you think? I th I think both is good. I think both is good. I think like, you know, people throw out all the different ideas, local politics, third parties, um, new parties, uh, you know, or taking it top down. I mean, my preferred approach is definitely like a top-down thing. I think the only, I personally think the only way that you're ever going to really be able to crack it, I could be wrong, but, you know, history shows us it's probably going to be some like Julius Caesar type figure that will likely probably come from the upper echelons of power being born into some rich family or something like that. And again, like kind of just come and save the American public. And to some people, Trump represents that. I don't think he is that, but uh, I think he represents that to some people. But I think it'll be something like that. Um, that That's a waiting game. Like there, there's nothing you can really do about that. You know, when is someone going to wake up and be able to drive enough uh, of a movement to actually make that happen? I don't know. But um, I feel like that's the only way that it'll actually happen. Uh that being said, I also like the idea of um, trying to use the leverage of power that we currently have to afflict change. And a lot of my friends in the MAGA communist spaces, our plan is to just take over the Communist Party of the United States because, I mean, <laughs> we, we don't have a lot of money. Like, right. it, you compare to the people in these high positions like the Trumps of the world or whoever, DeSantis of the world, they have so much money behind them. The Communist Party of the United States actually does have a lot of money behind it. It has massive real estate holdings all across the country, um, which is 
interesting. Not a lot of people know that. And they have a very fragile power base. So um, a lot of these third parties right now are actually seriously in debt. Like, I, I don't really know the debt structure or, or if you guys are in debt in the Libertarian Party, but I know the Greens are massively in debt. I know we uh, were, it, at least. I don't know if we still are, but we certainly were. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. The idea of taking over the communist CPUSA, it's called the Communist Party of the United States, is just so um, it's almost poetic. It's almost poetic. And like the amount of resources we'd have on tap if we did that would be dangerous, <laughs> to say the least. So I think approaching everything is good. Um, but again, I think the top down is probably the only way it's ever going to really happen. So last question on this. Um, the Some of it seems like a little bit of a joke, like some of the memes that are put out there and some of the things people, like one of the it, it's along with MAGA communism. A lot of people say Ron Paul Maoism. And it's almost like it's almost like it's just trying to to be funny and gain attention or whatever. But um, how do you think the communists are going to take this? And I feel like they're going to because we actually we sort of just took over the Libertarian Party because it was run by a bunch of gutless, horrible, like boring, bland people. And we just took it over last year and it's the third largest party. So it was quite a bit of work. Uh, I bet the Communist Party would be easier. But do you think the communists are going to welcome this with open arms or is it going to be a bit of a coup that you're going to have to stage oh no yeah it's for sure a coup they've already banned most of us <laughs> from the party like 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 i love it yeah they banned us all on twitter or blocked <laughs> us on twitter they ban they banned me they banned haas they banned like a lot of us but we have all these sleeper agents in the party already i don't know i don't know how you guys did it i'd actually be curious to hear because I, I i kind of followed it. i kind of saw some stuff but we have a lot of sleeper agents in like every chapter across the nation and um, it is fragile. Like there's only a few people that really are like, you know, the the underpinning of like this. They're just Democrats. Like they support Kamala Harris. <laughs> like they tweet openly their support. They're not communists. Uh, like we're Stalinists. They're they're Democrats, you know, but um, they yeah, they're freaking out. I mean, the problem is we literally have thousands of people that have that work like random jobs and can just like dedicate all their time to taking over the party and that scares the shit so what we did is actually haas's idea this guy haas again he had the idea to just say well all these twitter accounts for cpusa chapters are are banning us and blocking us so let's just make our own cpusa accounts and let's start holding our own cpusa meetings and that time when the next you know um board election comes around we'll just be fully prepared to take over the party so there's like two CPUSA accounts for every single state and ours always have more followers because we're more popular and have better ideas and we're just replacing them kind of like that it's like a slow replacement in in progress right now yeah with us so the Mises caucus is what took over the libertarian party but um we had to win state conventions and it was all about how many people showed up to the conventions. And then we had to elect delegates that went to the national convention back in May. And then it was just basically a 70% clean sweep uh, vote. So, I mean, every 100% of everything got replaced, but every vote was like 70% majority. So it's just a complete sweep. So is the Communist Party a convention like that? Is that how they do things? or They just have a national board. That's That's <laughs> it pretty much. Uh -huh. And as soon as we take power, we're just going to like immediately uh, get rid of is a kind way of putting it. We're just going to get rid of all those people in the party. It's like it, I don't think the sounds very communist. It. So <laughs> that's yeah. how we do it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, it's just these people are there. I think a lot of them are probably intelligence or like just like what, what is the CPUSA even today? No one even knows what that is, but they have so much, they have literally millions of dollars in real estate holdings. Like how the fuck do they have that? But they, uh, it was initially taken over by intelligence. Now it's like, just, I think stupid people who believe in those like ops that took over the party. I don't even think they're intelligence anymore. I think they're just stupid. So I can't imagine it's going to be that hard, but they have like a national board and we're just going to, it's like a national board. You got to vote people in. We're going to take it over. But they've like they they spend all their time like writing letters and holding board meetings, denouncing us, denouncing patriotism, denouncing MAGA communism. It's really funny. And it's going to be funnier when their party comes to a, a close uh, as they know it. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that's all. 
it's all very interesting, man. I'm looking forward to seeing how that turns out. Um, thanks for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it. I'm nobody. And I just messaged you and you're like, sure. And I, I just, I continuously appreciate that from people with way bigger audiences than myself. Um, you know, it's, it's, it was very interesting talking with you. I, it's just very fascinating, this whole thing that's taking place and hearing how you describe different people in the Republican movement in general. And it, very interesting conversation. Um, I've got your uh, link tree linked in the descriptions. So people can follow you there. Is there anything you want to plug specifically that you got coming up and any final thoughts you want to share? I'm going live tonight. So I'll be live streaming tonight on my channel. You guys can check that out. And thank you for having me on. Um, your New Hampshire T Libertarian Party Twitter account is so based. It's like one of the only based Twitter accounts that that was blue checked before everyone else. Right. So you guys yeah. do really good work and uh, it's going to be a hell of a fight over the next few years. So we'll be in it together. All right, man. I'd love to talk again soon. Uh, thanks everyone for watching. If you're new here, please subscribe to the channel and check out my link tree. Follow me everywhere else because, you know, YouTube could be pretty temporary with how much uh, censorship we got going on these days. And I'll catch everyone on the next stream.